page 11, calcium channel blockers. Another top 10 group of drugs. But the good news about this one is there isn't a whole lot you need to know. You just have to know some basics about these heart drugs. Um, somewhere in the margin of this lecture, I want you to write the following. Calcium channel blockers are like Valium for your heart. Calcium channel blockers are like Valium for your heart. Now why would I say that? I think that makes it easy for you to remember what they do. Because what does Valium do for your body and for you in general? What's it do? Calms you down. So what do you think calcium channel blockers do to the heart? They calm it down. So if you get a question about a calcium channel blocker, think, oh, that's going to calm my heart down. That would be just like giving my heart some Valium. Now, did I say it was Valium? No, no. no, it's not Valium. It has nothing to do with Valium, but it's like Valium for your heart. So if your heart is tachycardic, could it stand a little relaxing? Yes. So what class of drug could you give? Yeah. Calcium channel blocker. If you're in shock, does your heart need to relax when you're in shock? No. No, no you need a. It needs to get cook in here, so would you give a calcium channel blocker? No. No. If your heart was in heart block, would you give a calcium channel blocker? No. No. If your heart was having tachyrrhythmias, would you give a calcium channel blocker? Okay, so if you wanted, if you had a heart attack and you wanted to rest your heart, what would you give? Calcium channel blocker. So calcium channel blocker is given when you want to rest your heart. When your heart needs stimulated, please don't give a calcium channel blocker. That's not a good idea. So this is like value for your heart. Now, how do we say that really fancy? The way we say that fancy is the following. You see here where it says letter A, calcium channel blockers are negative, inotropic, chronotropic, andromotropic. When you see the fancy words negative inotropic, negative chronotropic, negative dromotropic, don't freak out. All that's saying is what? It's like Valium for your heart. So negative inotropes, negative chronotropes, negative dromotropes relax your heart. They calm it down. Now, the chart below shows you the difference between the positive inotrope, chronotrope, dromotropes and the negative inotrope, chronotrope, dromotropes. What do positive chronoinodromos do? Look down through them. What do they do? They strengthen, speed up, stimulate. So they are called what? Cardiac depressants or stimulants? Stimulants. And negatives are cardiac depressants. So a positive inochronodromotrope is a cardiac stimulant. A negative inochronodromo is a cardiac depressant. Do you see the difference? In that chart, which column should you highlight in this lecture because it applies to the calcium channel blockers? Negative. 
the last column. So circle and highlight the last column because that's where calcium channel blockers fit into the picture. They are negative inotronodromotropes. They weaken, slow down, and depress the heart. Letter B, when would we want to do that? What do they treat? Well, they treat A, AA, and AAA. The letter A is your friend here. A, AA, and AAA. Well, what does A stand for? Number one, they are anti-hypertensives. They are anti-hypertensives. How does that work? They relax your heart and blood vessels. And if you relax your heart and relax your blood vessels, what does your blood pressure do? It goes down. Does that make sense? If your blood pressure was high, would you take a Valium for your heart or a stimulant for your heart? If your blood pressure is high, would you want a Valium for your heart or a stimulant for your heart? Valium. And that would mean you'd use a calcium channel blocker. Do you see what I'm talking about? Okay, the second AA stands for anti-anginals. They are anti-angina drugs. Well, how does that work? It's going to relax your heart so it uses less oxygen, so there's, there goes the angina away. It works by decreasing oxygen demand. <coughs> it treats angina by decreasing oxygen demand because it relaxes the heart. What's the worst thing in the world for a person with angina? What's the worst thing that can happen to a person with angina for the, with their heart? What's the worst thing that can happen to their heart <coughs> in a person with angina? Speed up. The Speed, heart. Up. Yeah. Speed up. And then it has problems. So we want to do what to the heart? Slow it Slow down. down. AAA, anti-atrial arrhythmia anti-atrial arrhythmia. So what does it treat? Will it treat ventricular tachycardia? No. Why? Because that's ventricular and this only treats atrial. Will it treat atrial flutter? Yes. Atrial fibrillation? Yes. Premature ventricular contractions? No. Premature atrial contractions? Paroxysmal atrial tachycardia. Yes. Atrial bigeminy. Yes. Ventricular bigeminy. No. Huh. Here we go. I love medical transcriptionists that don't know what they're writing. We always have fun reading those charts on night shift. I remember one time I was working nights, I was tell you, I was cracking me up. We were reading this guy's history and physical and the doctor dictated it and the transcriptionist wrote out the history and physical, you know, and they make mistakes. She said that this guy had <laughs> This guy has ventricular by Jiminy. <laughs> I go, whoa, that's great. That's funny. They just it's a lot of fun. Okay, um, so all you have to know 
to know what arrhythmias this treats is to know if it starts with what letter? A. a. And if it's an A, it's yes. And if it's a V, it's no. no. But there's a trick. What about this one? Supraventricular tachycardia, SVT. Would calcium channel blockers treat SVT? Yes or no? I would say yes. You're correct. Yes. Why? What does supra mean? And what's above the ventricles? Atrium. Boom. So it's, it's supraventricular is the only ventricular which is actually saying atrial. Does everybody get that? Otherwise, you're good to go. Because it treats AAA and AAA. Well, what are the side effects? H and H. The letter H is your friend here. Headache and hypotension. Headache and hypotension. Why hypotension? Because it relaxes the heart and the blood vessels. Why the headache? Because you get vasodilation in the brain and that gives you like a migraine. By the way, headache is a great thing to check on a select all that apply. Because <laughs> what do you have with low sodium? Headache. What do you have with a high sodium? Headache. What do you have with a high glucose? Headache. What do you have with a low glucose? Headache. What do you have with high blood pressure? Headache. What do you have with low blood pressure? Headache. You know what I mean? Headache's pretty, uh, I'm going with headache. <laughs> okay, names of calcium channel blockers. Names. Anything ending in dapine. Anything ending in dapine. Amlodipine, nifedipine, the dipines. I always say you're dipping in the calcium channel. Not peen. Why not peen? Why would you? Why do I not want you to memorize everything ending in peen? Because there are loads of drugs that end in peen that are not these. It has to be a dipeen. Dipeen. Dipeen is your calcium channel blocker ending. And then there are two others you have to know by name. Verap, Bamil, and Cardizem. Verapamil and Cardizem. So the dipenes, Verapamil and Cardizem. Dipenes, Verapamil, Cardizem. Those are your calcium channel blockers. Which of those is continuous IV drip? Can be given to Cardizem. So when you give a calcium channel blocker, now think about this, when you give a calcium channel blocker, what vital sign do you need to measure before you give it? Blood pressure. Why? What's the side effect? Hypotension. Hypotension. So you measure the blood pressure. What are your parameters? What are your guidelines? You get a blood pressure. So what? What are your guidelines? How are you going to use it? Below 60. Or no, wait a minute, I'm thinking the heart. You're thinking pulse rate. You're thinking pulse rate over 60. Not that. Okay, which one? Yes. Hold the calcium channel blocker if the systolic, that's the top number, is under 100. 
take the blood pressure or measure don't take it measure it measure the blood pressure and if the systolic is under 100 then you hold the calcium channel blocker so what do you have to monitor continuously or, or fairly quickly intermittently while they're on a cardiazem drip the blood pressure and there again if it was 98 over 52 what would you do what would you do with the drip slow it down measure it again so you titrate do you know what I mean by titrate change the IV rate to keep the blood pressure what systolic over 100 LPNs they would say if somebody's on a cardiazem drip you notice all the following which one would you report to the RN it's a systolic falling below a hundred same information just ask from a different perspective <clears throat> Okay, cardiac arrhythmias. The ones we're going to do for the rest of the night are short, so that you, you know, I as the day goes on, your brain gets more spaghetti-like, and I just want to keep it faster so you don't get no big long ones in the middle of the night. Cardiac arrhythmias. Knowing how to interpret rhythm strips. Now turn to page 13, the next page down. Next page. <clears throat> do you see at the bottom of the page there are four? rhythm strip tracings. Mm -hmm. These are the four you must know by sight. You have to know these by sight. The first one is normal sinus rhythm. How do you know it is normal sinus rhythm? There's a P wave, a QRS, and a T wave for every single complex. There's a P wave before every QRS, and every QRS is followed by a T wave. But what else tells you it is normal sinus rhythm? Do you see the peaks of the P waves? How equally distant they are from one another? That tells you you're not dealing with something called a sinus arrhythmia. So that is normal sinus rhythm because there's a P for every QRS and the QRS complexes are evenly spaced. When you see that, that's normal sinus rhythm. It doesn't really matter if they go up or down. Do you know what I mean? You could have a P wave going up, QRS going down. That's okay. That's still normal sinus. The second one is V-fib, <coughs> ventricular fibrillation. It is a chaotic, squiggly line. The third one, it looks like a 1970s wallpaper border. That's VTAC, ventricular tachycardia. It's got those sharp peaks and jags. Is there a pattern? Yeah. yeah. Is there a pattern with ventricular fibrillation? No. no, there's no pattern with VFib. There is a pattern with VTAC. And the last one is called what? Asystole. Please don't miss that one. <laughs> I honestly don't miss it. I mean, you're going to go down and down, big time. Crash and burn time. Okay, let's go back to page 12 now. now I just want to hit those right out the gate. Now, could they show you Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome? Yeah. But why do I not teach you that? 
You don't need to know. You don't need to know it. But you said, but Mark, you said if they show it to me, don't I need to know it? What's the answer? No. What do you need to know? You need to know the answers to the questions that everybody else knows. And everybody else knows what asystole looks like. And everybody else knows what V-fib looks like. And everybody else knows what VTAC looks like. And everybody else knows what normal sinus looks like. Nobody else knows what Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome looks like. So if you miss that, it doesn't hurt you. You understand these questions are all given degrees of difficulty. So do you have to get every question right? No. What questions do you have to get right? The ones that everybody knows. The easy questions. You can miss every single hard question on the boards and pass with flying colors. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I want, why, do I, why do I teach you what I teach you? I want to teach you the stuff that everybody knows. So that you real quickly get correct the answers to the questions that everybody else knows. So that real quickly you get to what kind of questions? Hard ones that no one knows. Now you're going to feel how? Horrible because you don't know any of this stuff. But that's good. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I want, my goal is to, as fast as I can, get you to the hard questions. The questions that nobody else knows, including you. So that you feel really stupid. Do you see what I'm saying? I want you to, I want, halfway through this test, I want you to be going, what? <laughs> what is that drug? What disease is that? What are you talking about? Who's that? What's this? You know? Because you understand, I, I don't, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know what everybody else knows. What, the, what you know, a little less than average. And so we're not going to, that's what kills me about a lot of these review books. A lot of these review books have all these rhythm strips in it, which is ridiculous. And these people have to memorize these rhythm strips, like 50 of them. And only four of them really are going to hurt you if you don't know. So why do those other books put those rhythm strips in their review? Why do they put them in there? Because they what? Heard that they're on there. They heard that they're on there. And so they what? They heard that something's on there, so what do they do immediately in their book? They throw it in, and their books get what? Thicker and thicker and thicker. My books are what? Thin. Let's focus on the stuff you need to know, and not the crazy stuff. I always say there's three levels of nursing knowledge. Stuff you need to know, stuff that's nice to know, and stuff that's nuts to know. <laughs> and most of nursing books are made up of nuts to know. Yes. Have you ever asked a teacher, just tell me what I need to know? And they say, well, read the book and the notes. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> well, part of what you're paying me for is to take all of that that's in those books and narrow it down to this. So that if you know this, you know what everybody else knows and soon you'll get to stuff that no one knows you won't know everything but hey that's that's cool so don't think you have to know everything you'll because if you try to learn everything you'll master nothing did, did you hear what I said if you try to learn everything you'll master nothing and that's what students do they just try to learn more 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 no more isn't the solution okay focusing on what you really need to know and then how to apply it that's what we're talking about okay um, Back on page 12a, terminology. Whenever the question says QRSD polarization, it's talking about ventricular. If it says 
blankety blank, 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 QRS depolarizations, blank, 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 blank. You can always narrow it down to one of two. Both of those would say what word? Ventricular. You can rule out anything that says what? Atrial. If you see QRS, you can rule out anything that says ventricular, uh, atrial, and go with what's ventricular. However, number two, if it says P wave, that will refer to something atrial, and you can rule out anything ventricular. Unless they say a lack of a P wave. Well, I mean, that's not really talking about a P wave. <coughs> All right, let's use that to answer letter B, the six rhythms most tested on NCLEX. Number one, they will use this phrase, a lack of QRSs. There are no QRSs. Zero. None. What do you think that's called? Asystole. That's a flat line. That's asystole. Number two has to be a form of what? Atrial. Atrial. Why does it have to be atrial? Because P wave. Said P wave. And when you see sawtooth, you always pick flutter. Flutter is always described as sawtooth. I always think of the movie Jaws. I saw the teeth and my heart did flutter. Sawtooth flutter. Numbers three and four, do you notice that they have the same adjective, the word chaotic? Chaotic is always the word used to describe fibrillation. Fibrillation. So what is number three? How do you know it's atrial? And what's number four? Ventricular fibrillation. How did you know it was ventricular? How did you know it was fibrillation? Chaos. These are the words they use. Okay. What is number five? Some form of what? Atrial or ventricular? ventricular. How do you know it's ventricular? QRS. QRS. And when it says bizarre, bizarre always applies to tachycardia. Bizarre is, they, is the word they use for tachycardias. Chaos is the word they use for fibrillations. Don't get that confused. Chaos is for fibrillations. Bizarre is for tachycardia. So if you put two and two together, what is number five? Okay. Ventricular tachycardia. Do you see how this can be easy if you just know your words? Why did they do that? What's that? Why did they do that? Why did they put chaotic then? Why did they do that? Why, How why would they, we know that? Oh, why didn't they teach you that? I mean, why oh. did they put that in the HESI test? Why did they put those words in there? They did. They did. You mean they... I mean, yeah, why do they? They are, <coughs> I mean, they're trying to mess us up? No, no actually, what they're, what they're doing is they're seeing if you know what those words mean. You see what I'm saying? So we were supposed to be Do you know what chaos means? They, somewhere along the line, we should have been taught this. Yes. Somewhere we along the line, <laughs> you should have been taught that chaos was fib, flutter was sawtooth, bizarre was tacky, QRS was ventricle, P wave was atrial. You see what I'm saying? You should have been taught that. Wow. Okay. Um, well, what about a periodic wide bizarre QRS? That's a PVC. Why is it ventricular? And why is it wide and bizarre? Because it's like one snapshot of a tachycardia, right? It's just one piece of tachycardia. So is it possible, could you call a salvo of PVCs 
you know, a salvo of them, a group of them in a row, a salvo of them. What else could you call it? A short run of VTAC, couldn't you? Because it's the same idea. Now let me ask you this, do we care, do physicians care about people having PVCs, generally speaking? No. How high a priority is a client with a PVC? If you had to prioritize four clients and one of them has PVCs, how high would you prioritize that guy? Low, moderate, or high? Low. All right? Now, under three circumstances, you could elevate that person to moderate, not high priority, just moderate priority. And here's the list right here below. If there are more than six PVCs in a minute, or more than six PVCs in a row, or if the PVC falls on the T wave of the previous beat, that's called R on T phenomenon, if one of those is true, you elevate the priority of your PVC client to moderate. So PVCs never reach what level? High. They never reach high. The most a PVC client can reach is moderate, and that's if there's more than six in a row, six in a minute, or fallen on the T wave. Otherwise, how high do you prioritize your PVC patient? Low. Isn't it true that in, after an MI, after a heart attack, if they're having PVCs, what do you know? Is that good or bad? That's good. So actually, it, it means they're reperfusing. So that it doesn't raise their priority. It even lowers it because they're doing great. So uh, anybody ever work coronary care or telemetry? If you call physicians in the middle of the night to tell them that the patient is having PVCs, what is the most common order you will receive? And how will they say that? Hang out. Discontinue the monitor. They'll tell you to DC the monitor. Why? Because if you don't have the monitor, you can't see the PVCs. And if you don't see the PVCs, you won't call them. <laughs> so you learn real quick, you know. Don't call a doctor about PVCs unless you want to lose your monitor. Okay. All right. Lethal arrhythmias, how high a priority are these? Moderate, low, or high? These are high priority. There are two of them that are super high priorities. They're lethal, meaning they will kill you in eight minutes or less. The first one is asystole. Right? If you're asystolic, you got eight minutes, or that brain's gone. V-fib is also the lethal one. What do asystole and V-fib have in common? No cardiac output. And if you've got no cardiac output, you do not have brain perfusion. And if you don't have brain perfusion, you're dead in eight minutes. So if they give you four patients and one of the patients has asystole or V-fib, how high do you prioritize that patient? They're probably number one. Probably number one. Letter D. One of these arrhythmias is a potentially life-threatening. It is not life-threatening. It is only 
potentially life-threatening, but that still makes it a fairly high priority. And that is ventricular tachycardia, VTAC. So therefore, what is the difference between VTAC and the asystole V-fibers? VTACers have a cardiac output. So that's, that makes all the difference in the world. Did you ever, were you ever in a code situation and, a, and they're given drugs or something and the rhythm changes? On the monitor, the rhythm changes because of something they did. What's the first question the doctor will always ask? What's that? Do you get a pulse with that? Why? What are they asking? Is there a cardiac output with that? You see? And so even if the rhythm changes to something that looks good, if there's no pulse, there's no cardiac output, it's just as bad as what was there before. Okay? All right. Turn the page. Let's talk about treatment of these problems. What treatment, yes. On that number six where periodic is underlined, is periodic mean PVC then? Yes. Because okay. it's not a continuous phenomenon. It's only occasional. Okay, let's talk about the treatment. The first two are PVCs and VTAC. They are both ventricular, correct? You see this? See my fingers? What letter do they make? V. A V. For ventricular, now watch what happens. For ventricular, use what letter is that? L. Lidocaine. For ventricular, use lidocaine. For ventricular, use lidocaine. So I always tell people to remember that. Ventricular lidocaine, ventricular lidocaine. Now I know that lidocaine is not used in a lot of squads now in the bigger <coughs> cities because they're using amiodarone. But Boards is going to talk more about lidocaine. After April 1, it would be amiodarone. Amiodarone. So I guess after April 1, I'm going to have to say, see the V for ventricular? Amiodarone. <laughs> no, I'll have to get something else. <laughs> Why do, why do squads in rural areas still stock lidocaine instead of amiodarone for VTAC and VFib? I mean, VTAC and PVCs. Yes, it's like one-tenth the cost and it has four times the shelf life. So why would you buy a super expensive drug that's going to expire in three weeks when you won't use it that much? But if you work squad in Franklin County, you're going to use that up so fast, might as well have amiodarone. But if you work Vinton County or something like that, you good luck. Amiodarone is going to spoil before you ever use it. Okay, uh, supraventricular arrhythmias. What's that a synonym for? Supraventriculars. Atrials. For atrial arrhythmias, use the ABCDs. Atrial starts with what letter? A. a. So remember the ABCDs of atrial treatment. So for ventricular, you use what? Lidocaine. Ventricular, use lidocaine. For atrial, use the ABCDs. So what are the ABCDs? A stands for adenocard. A-D-E-N-O-C-A-R-D, adenocard. 
A-D-E-N-O-C-A-R-D, adenocard, which is adenosine. This is the one you have to push in less than eight seconds. So is it a fast or slow IV push? Fast. fast. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, here's why I bring it up. The reason why I bring it up is when you're talking about IV push, when you don't know, you go slow. You heard that? When you don't know, you go slow when you're pushing. Now, I'm worried because you go, oh, I don't know a card, so I'm going to what? Slow. No, this is the one you got to know. It's the super fast. You got eight seconds. They call it slamming. Have you ever heard of that? You got to slam this drug. You got to push it in in eight seconds, and then the other nurse pushes 20, 20 milliliters of flush right after it. So you're going wham, and they're going wham. So you got to use a big vein. Can't use one of these. You have to use what we called, we used to call it the intern vein. Something so big an intern could hit it. Um, so we used to use the intern vein, one of those big ones. Now the problem with this is when you slam it fast, what could they go into? A-systole. And they could go into A-systole for about 30 seconds. But they'll come out of it. You just have to trust. They'll come out of it. They really will. But it's kind of scary. You know, 30 seconds of A-systole is scary. But what do you do? Sit there, relax, they're going to be okay. So what's the big thing you have to know with a denicard? Push it fast and don't worry about a system. Oh, unless it's longer than 30 seconds. Okay, B. B stands for beta blockers. Beta blockers. And what do all beta blockers end in? LOL. L-O-L. Yes. They all end in lol. L-O-L. Timolol, atenolol, nadolol, carvedilol, bredilol, propranolol. Those are all beta blockers. This is the best class of drugs, best named class of drugs in the universe. Every drug that is a lol is a beta blocker, and every beta blocker is a lol. It's great. Every drug should be that way. Okay, I always used to say, when we were in school, we used to do stupid things. You see that right there? That's baby beta. See the little curly cube? Actually, in bigger, it would look like this. Yeah, that's baby beta, and she's what? Blocked in. She can't go either way. Beta blocker. So, law, beta blockers. Now, beta blockers are negative ino, negative chrono, negative dromo. Negative ino, negative chrono, negative dromo. So they're like what? And so they're like Valium for your? So they'll treat A, AA, and AAA. And what are we talking about here? AAA, anti-atrial arrhythmia. Correct? So what will beta blockers have as a side effect? Headache and hypotension. Just like the calcium channel blockers. So don't make a big difference between calcium channel blockers and beta blockers, generally speaking. The only thing is, is that Calcium channel blockers are better for people with asthma because beta blockers, vaso, I mean, uh, bronco, <laughs> constrict. So people that have other diseases like COPD probably should be on a 
calcium channel, although a beta does all the same things and has all the same side effects. Oh, so therefore, what's the C? Calcium channel blockers. Because beta blockers and calcium channel blockers are like valium for your heart. They're negative NO, negative chrono, negative drama. They treat A, 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 and A, 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 and they have the side effects of H and H. Both of them. The D stands for digitalis. Digoxin, lan, oxin. You have to know these names because they will only give you one name for this drug. They'll say lan, oxin. You're supposed to know that's digitalis. They will not give you both. If you do not know that lanoxin is digitalis, you don't know what everybody else knows. So know it. So what are the ABCDs of treating atrial arrhythmias? Adena, beta, calcium, ditch. Adena, beta, calcium, ditch. Adena, beta, calcium, ditch. Adena, beta, calcium, ditch. Those are the ABCDs of? Atrial treatment. So what do you use for ventriculars? Lidocaine. What do you use for atrials? Adenovated calcium ditch. The ABCDs. Okay, right. what do you use, number four, what do you use for V-fib? It rhymes. For V-fib-u-d-fib. For V-fib-u-d-fib. In other words, what's D-fib mean? Shaka. And asystole, what do you use for asystole? Epinephrine and atropine. Epinephrine and atropine. In that order, what's the first one you give? Epinephrine, Epinephrine then if that doesn't work, you give atropine. atropine. Now, the way I remember this is, look at the word asystole, all right? What's the first letter? A, which stands for atropine. What's the last letter? E, which stands for epinephrine, but give it reverse. So A for atropine, E for epinephrine. What I do is I always do this. A, systole, atropine, epi. And I have that, you see this visual? I sort of have this visual of it coming down, and then I just go, give it opposite. So. so what do you do for V-fib? What do you do for VTAC and PVCs? What do you do for atrial flutter and atrial fibrillation? A denovated calcium ditch. What do you do for asystole? Epinephrine and atropine. Very good. If you know that, you know more than what most people know about those emergency things. Okay, let's talk about chest tubes. The purpose of a chest tube is to reestablish negative pressure in the pleural space. Reestablish negative pressure in the pleural space. So the pleural space is a place where negative is good. Because don't we tend to think of negative as bad? But negative is good in your pleural space. 
Negative makes things stick together. Got me? Okay. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> okay, Sean and I are going to demonstrate some things. Sean is the chest wall. I am the lung. She is the chest wall. I am the lung. Now, we're actually three dimensional, although we're only showing you a one dimensional picture. There's actually, you know, we're, you know what I'm saying? Everybody get the cross section here we're looking at? Okay, so she's the what? I'm the Okay, what's out here? Atmospheric air, right. So this is skin and bones and muscles, right? And then I'm a what? Lung. And what's in here? The what? The alveolus. I can't make three of them once. I know you're used to a picture with three, but I can't do that. Okay, that's the alveolus. Are you sitting getting the picture? Now on the inside of the is a lining called the visceral, I mean the parietal pleural. So this is the what? Parietal pleural. It lines the inside of the chest wall. Okay, now on the outside of me there's another lining. What's this called? Visceral pleura, and it lines the outside of the lung. Between the Wall. Parietal pleura and the Visceral. pleura is the pleural space. So we got this space here called the what? Pleural. pleural space. Now, what kind of pressure should be in there? Negative. Now, what does negative pressure do to things? Pull them together or push them apart? Negative. Negative. Pull together like a vacuum. Positive pressure pushes things away. So, what are we going to do here? If there's negative pressure in here, what's going to happen? We're stuck together because there's what? Mega pressure in the pearl space. Now, how is this going to work? Okay, we're going to breathe in. Now, when we breathe in, the chest wall expands outward, okay? So we're going to take a few steps out that way. So now, I want, we're going to breathe in, and you watch the air. Air going into the what? Alveolus. Okay, here's the air. Now, ready? Let's breathe in. <laughs> oh, what happened to the air? Okay, now let's breathe out. <laughs> Do you see? Now let's breathe in again. Now let's breathe out again. Alright, now there's good what? Air exchange because there's and the Okay, now take your gun and shoot us. <laughs> She's got a silencer on. <laughs> Bang, okay, a bullet comes. Now what has entered the plural space? Yeah. Air and blood creating what? Positive pressure, which is going to do what to us? Push us apart. Okay, now, I want you, so we're no longer what? Stuck together. She has muscles. What don't I have? Muscles. She does the work of breathing. I just hang along for the ride. Now, what we're going to do is now that there's positive pressure in here, I want Shana to breathe in. And then breathe out. And, and I want to watch. I want you to watch what happens to the air exchange. Okay, breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. What's happening? She's doing a lot of what? But there's no air exchange because there's positive pressure in the 
Okay, now take that chest tube you have there in your hand. Okay, now pretend you're sticking it in here. Okay, now give me some suction. Okay, now what, what did we just do? Re-established negative pressure in the pleural space. So now she can breathe in. Now we heal, and what does she do? Pulls out the tube, and we're good to go. Thank you. Very good. Very good. So she'll never. She's gonna sit in the back from now on. Um, so what's the purpose of a chest tube? Reestablish negative pressure in the pleural space, so that the lung expands when the chest wall moves. Is that making sense? Why you need that tube in there? Okay. Now, when you get a chest tube question, look at the reason for which it was placed. Letter A there, number one, says, in a, in a pneumothorax, the chest tube removes what? Air. air. Pneumo means air. So in a pneumothorax, what created the positive pressure? Air. air. So I've got to put a chest tube in to remove air, air so I can reestablish the negative pressure. Okay, but in a hemothorax, the chest tube removes blood, because what's causing the positive pressure? Blood. blood, and I gotta remove it to reestablish re the negative pressure. And in a pneumohemothorax, what's in the pleural space? Air. air and blood, and I must remove both air and blood to reestablish the negative pressure in the pleural space. So if Boards gives you a question and says that you have a patient with pneumo, with chest tubes in, for a hemothorax, what would you report to nurse LPNs or doctor RNs? What would you report to the nurse or the doctor? Number one, the chest tube is not bubbling. Two, the chest tube drained 800 mil in first 10 hours chest tube is not draining, the chest tube is intermittently bubbling. Well, you have to say to yourself, what do I expect from a hemo? What does a hemo chest tube put in for a hemothorax? What's it supposed to do? Drain what? Blood. So, which one of these says it is not doing what it is supposed to do? Three. Number three. So which one would you report to the nurse or the physician? Number three. Because it is not doing what it is supposed to do. Do you see, that, see what I'm saying? Well, what if I said this? Pneumo. A pneumothorax. What would you report to the physician? Well, you could have two of them. What would they be? One or two, right? What's wrong with one? It needs to bubble. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. What's wrong with two? It's doing something it's not supposed to do. And in that case, it would be a hard, do you see what I'm saying? It would be a hard one to, to, to do. 
But the point is, is that do you see how that, it definitely wasn't number three. Do you see when I changed? Did you see that when I changed from a hemo to a pneumo, what was the right answer is no longer even an option for the right answer. So if you're gonna get chest tube questions correct, what must you pay particularly attention to? Particular attention to? The disease for which it was placed. And that will tell you what you should expect. Does that make sense that you're gonna have to watch that? Otherwise, you, you wouldn't get it right. Okay, the other thing you have to pay attention to is letter B, the location of the tubes. The location of the tubes. And the two locations are apical, A-P-I-C-A-L, and basilar, B-A-S-I-L-A-R. Apical, number one is apical, A-P-I-C-A-L. And number two is basilar, B-A-S-I-L-A-R. Apical and basilar. Now, apical means the chest tube's way up high, and if you put a chest tube way up high, what are you going to remove? Air. air, because air rises. So apicals remove air. Basilars are at the bottom of the lungs, so they will remove what? Blood. Blood, because blood is subject to gravity. So apicals remove air. Basilars remove blood. A for A, B for B. What do I mean by that? Apical starts with a. a, and that removes air, air which starts with a. a, and basilar starts with B, and it should remove blood. So if they say your apical chest tube is draining uh, 300 milliliters per hour, your apical is draining 300 per hour, what do you think? Good or bad? Bad. bad. Your basilar is draining 200 mils per hour. Yeah. Fine. It needs to come out, you know. Um, your apical tube is not bubbling. Your apical tube is bubbling. Your basilar tube is not bubbling. Fine, your basilar tube is bubbling. Why? You know what I'm saying? So do you see where location depends? So what will they put in for a hemo? What will they put in for a pneumo? And what will they put in for a pneumohemo? One of each, which brings up the next three questions. Examples, how many chest tubes and where would you place them for unilateral pneumohemothorax? Unilateral pneumohemo. Two, you'd use a apical for the pneumo and a basilar for the hemo. B, how many chest tubes and where for a bilateral pneumo? Again, how many? Two. But what would they both be? Apicals. You'd use an apical on the right and an apical on the left. Then letter C, how many chest tubes and where would you place them for post-op chest surgery? Here again, two. An apical and a basilar on the side of the surgery. Because you are to assume, you are to assume that chest surgery or trauma is unilateral unless otherwise specified. So if they just said he had chest trauma, would you assume it's unilateral or bilateral? Unilateral. Chest surgery, unilateral or bilateral? Unilateral. You always assume unilaterality. 
Never assume that it's bilateral. So the only time you're taking care of bilateral is when they say bilateral. Alrighty? Oh, there's a trick question though about chest tubes. How many chest tubes would you need and where would you place them for a post-op right pneumonectomy? None. None. Why? Pneumonectomy means removal of the what? Whole lung. There's no lung. There's no pleural space. There's nothing. So if there's no pleural space, why do you want to reestablish pressure in something that does not exist? Correct? So you do not use chest tubes for pneumonectomies. You use them for lobectomies, wedge resections, those kinds of things. All right, turn the page. Let's talk about troubleshooting. Do you guys remember seeing closed chest drainage devices like a Pluravac, Thoravac, Pneumavac, Emerson? And they're those plastic containers that the tube is connected to. Well, what do you do if you knock that over? I mean, you didn't break it. You just knocked it over. What do you do? Set it back up and have them take some deep breaths. Is, a, is it a medical emergency? Does the physician need call? Does the RN need notified? Do you need to do anything other than have them take a couple deep breaths? No, it is no big deal. Do you understand that? So do not get all <coughs> uptight when you knock over that device. But number two, what do you do if the water seal breaks? The actual device, that device breaks. Now is that the same thing as we were just talking about or is this something totally different? Totally different because now positive pressure can get in the pleural space. So what do we do? Let's say you break it, what do you do? Clamp it. That's the first thing you do is clamp it. Why? So nothing gets in. Then what do you do next? Well, there's a couple of steps they're going to put in between there. Clamp it. Put it in sterile water. There's a step before that. That's the, that's the third step. Clamp it. It's too obvious. Cut it away from the broken device. You know, take your scissors and cut that tube away from that broken device because it's no good anymore, right? So cut it all away. Then, what do you do to the end of that tube then that's been cut away? You set it in the back here. Stick that end of that tube under sterile. sterile water. Okay. Now, what are you going to do next? Unclamp it. Why unclamp it? Because now you've reestablished the water seal. <coughs> you understand? It doesn't need clamped as long as it's under water. And it's better to be underwater than to be clamped. Why is it better to be underwater, the end of the tube underwater, than for the tube to be clamped? Why is it better? Sterile. No, not sterile necessary. necessarily. Necessarily. Air can't go in, but stuff can come out. If it's clamped, what's the problem? Nothing can go in or out. And you want stuff to come out. You don't want stuff to go in. So clamping is only a stop-gap measure. It doesn't solve the problem. What solves the problem? Sticking the tube underwater. So what is the order? If they gave you a click and drag when the water seal breaks, what would be the first thing you'd click and drag? 
Plant, then what? Cut, then submerge, then unplant. It's alphabetical. Clamp, cut, submerge, unclamp. Clamp, cut, submerge, unclamp. That is your order. So if they said to you, what is the first thing you're going to do when the water seal breaks? The first thing, what will you pick? Submerge the end of the tube underwater or clamp the tube? Clamp. Clamp. Because when they say first, they're asking about what? Order. Right? But what if they say this? They ask you the exact same question with the exact same answers, and they change one word in the question. The word they change is from first to best. And they say, what is the best thing to do when the water seal breaks? What is now the answer? Submerge it under sterile water, the tube under, the end of the tube underwater. Why is it the best? Because it actually solves the problem by reestablishing the water seal. The clamping was only what? A temporary fix. It's not the best, it's the first, but it's not the best. So do you understand that a best question is different than a first question? Very different. A first question is asking you all about order. A best question is asking you what's the one thing you would do if you could only do one of these. So if you could only do one, clamp it and nothing else, or put it under the end of the tube underwater and nothing else, which one would you do if you could only do one? Submerge. So it's what? Best. Because what's the best answer? The one that you would do if you could only do one. one. What's the first one? The one you do first. And that may be the same and it may be different, but a lot of people screw up questions because they're answering firsts instead of bests or bests instead of firsts. And they're not paying attention to what the question is asking. For example, and this is really important to get because people have trouble with this. You notice a person has ventricular fibrillation on the monitor. V-fib, good or bad? bad? Bad. No cardiac output. You run to the room, they're non-responsive, and they don't have a pulse. What's the first thing you're going to do? A, place a backboard. B, begin chest compressions. Now, first is about what? Order. Order. So, you're between those two, right? So if you pick place backboard, what are you saying? I'm going to place the backboard first, then I'm going to start chest compressions. If you pick chest compressions, what are you saying? I'm going to start chest compressions, then I'm going to place the backboard. Well, what would be better to do first? Place the backboard. And remember, it's a perfect world, so where's the backboard? Right there. Boom. It's there. Don't say, well, it could take 10 minutes for somebody else to bring the code. No, it's a perfect world. It's there. Okay, so what's the first thing you do? Place the backboard or begin chest compressions? Place the backboard. Place the backboard. But what if I say this? Person has V-fib, they're unresponsive, no pulse. What's the best thing to do? Place the backboard or begin chest compressions? Well, if you do one of those, you don't get to do the other one. In a you understand, in a best question, how many things do you get to do? One. one. And if you do one, you don't get to do the other one. So if you pick backboard as the best, what are you saying you're going to do? 
I'm going to roll them over, put them on the backboard, and go, oh, okay, now. Hmm. <laughs> They're still not getting the pulse. Hmm. Hopefully somebody will come along before eight minutes, right? But if you pick chest compressions, what are you saying? I'll do chest compressions while they're on the floor. They get no backboard. Right. Well, would you rather do chest compressions without a backboard right. or a backboard without chest compressions? Right. Which one's best? The chest compressions. Which one's first? Backboard. The backboard. Are you getting this? First versus best? We're going to talk a lot about this in the next three days, so you get good at this. Most people don't even catch the difference. They just right over. No, not you guys. But a lot of people. Number two, what do you do if the chest tube, chest tube gets pulled out? Have you ever seen that? I've done it. Yeah, I did. I worked at Southwest Nine and when St. East was open in Dayton, Ohio. I had worked in the intensive care unit from the open hearts and they had these chest tubes and everything. Well, this big, this guy's huge. He's like 10 times my size. Well, that's not hard to beat, but. He was really big. And I knew that I had to get him in bed and I had one chance. Otherwise, we're both going down. And I had to do it all in one motion. So I, I got there like this, you know, wide stance, the bed's here, he's here. I got the belt and I think, okay now. And I thought, oh, your, your stance isn't wide enough. So I went. And when I went like that, I stepped on his chest. Oh, no. And I did not know it. And I went, okay, one, two, <laughs> three. I lifted him up and out came the, because I'm standing on it, got pulled out, but I didn't know it. And so he's there and he's talking and whatnot. And I'm going, where's the blood on my pants? Is it blood all over my pants? What's this? Here's the chest tube lying on the floor. Oh. So I thought, oh, great. But he says, oh, I feel pretty good. I feel a lot better now. Well, let's try for the other one. But um, what's the first thing you do? What do you think the first thing you do is? Take a gloved hand and cover the hole. What's the best thing to do? Cover it with a Vaseline gauze. So what's the first thing you do? Cover, Cover it with your gloved hand. gloved hand. What's the best thing to do? Vaseline gauze. Because if you get, if they say you accidentally pulled out the chest tube, what's the best thing to do? Best thing. And you're between cover it with your gloved hand versus Vaseline gauze. If you pick cover it with your gloved hand, what are you saying? I'm going to cover it with my gloved hand and that's all I'm going to do. So you're going to follow him around all day long <laughs> with the gloved hand. No, you're going to put a Vaseline gun. That actually solves the problem. Do you see the difference? But if they ask first, you're going to put gloved hand, then Vaseline gauze. But best is Vaseline gauze. Forget about the gloved hand. Are you seeing this difference? Mm -hmm. It's real important, real critical that you see this. Bubbling. They love to ask about bubbling chest tubes. You've seen these questions around? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, ask yourself two questions. Where is it bubbling and when is it bubbling? If you do not ask yourself those two questions, you're going to get it wrong. You can get this question right if you ask where and when, because it is going to depend on where and when. Because sometimes bubbling is good and sometimes it's bad. It depends on where and when. So let's talk about it. If I say bubbling, 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 what do you say? Where? where? I say water seal. Do you see where I'm at? Then what do you ask me? And I say intermittent. Is everybody where I'm at? So intermittent bubbling in the water seal is good. Document it. 
It's never bad. It's always good. Document it. Okay, I say bubbling, bubbling. You say what? I say water seal. You say? I say continuous. This is bad. There is a leak. You do not want continuous bubbling in the water seal. That means there's a leak in the system. You've got to find it and tape it. Put tape over it until it stops leaking. LPNs, this is perfectly within the scope of your practice to put tape on these things to stop the continuous bubbling. I say bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. You say what? Where? I say suction control chamber. You say? Where? And I say intermittent. That's bad. The suction is not high enough in that case. If you're only getting intermittent bubbling in the suction control, your suction is too low. You gotta go to the wall. You know what I mean by the wall? You know that dial at the wall? And you gotta turn it up until what happens? Bubbles how? Continuous, because if I say bubbling, bubbling, you say where I say suction control, you say and I say continuous, that is good. You document that. So, two scenarios are good and two scenarios are bad. Did you notice that? And what did you notice about the two chambers? They're opposite. What's good in one is bad in the other. Now, I do not memorize all four of those. I don't. I memorize one. And then I deduce all the other three. The one that makes the most intuitive sense to me is this. Think about this. If something is sealed, which chamber am I talking about? If something is sealed, Water should you have a continuous bubble? No. That means it's what? Leaking. So that is bad. So intermittent in the seal is? And the suction control is the opposite of that. Because it just makes sense to me. If, you, if this were a two liter bottle of pop and it was on the grocery store shelf, and it was sitting there going bubble, 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 bubbling how? Continuously. Would you buy it? No. What's your conclusion about it? The what? Seal is broken. Is it? Don't you? In life, you when things bubble continuously, you think, oh, the seal's broken. Well, in a chest tube, if it's bubbling continuously, the water seal is broken, and so that's bad. Do you see how I want you to remember it? Do you, did you guys ever, uh, did you ever notice that when you do chest tube questions that it is so frustrating because sometimes you're saying it's bubbling is bad, sometimes you're saying, and they say, no, it's okay, and then the next time you say, oh, it's okay, and then they say, no, it's bad, and then the next time you say, oh, it must be bad, and then they say, no, it's okay, <laughs> and you're going, just make up your mind, is bubbling good or bad, and what's the answer? It's both. It depends. And that's what you're not picking up. You never have, you have made all chest tubes the same, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And they're very different. See, my philosophy is make something simple if it's, if it's simple, but don't oversimplify if it's actually more involved. So hopefully that will help you with your chest tube questions to know when bubbling's okay and when bubbling's not okay and when draining's okay and when draining's not okay and what the purpose of it is. Do any of you like analogies? Learn by analogy, dog is to meow as bark is to cat. You know that you're not good at analogies when I say meow is to 
cat as bark is to and you say tree. You know, you know you're not very good at it, you know. But here's an analogy that might help you. Um, a straight catheter, you got where I'm at? A straight catheter is to a Foley catheter as a thoracentesis is to a chest tube. Mm -hmm. Did you get the analogy? Because mm -hmm. what's a straight cat? In and out. What's a Foley? In, secure, drain it, keep continuous drain. What's a thoracentesis? In and out to reestablish negative pressure. What's a chest tube? Stick it in, secure it, leave it in. So, do you see the point? So just think of a thoracentesis as an in and out chest tube. And that will help you answer questions there too. So which one has a higher risk of infection? Thoracentesis or chest tube? Because what has a higher risk of infection? A straight cath or a foley? Right? Same idea. Rules for clamping tubes. Never clamp a tube for longer than 15 seconds without a doctor's order. You're not allowed to clamp chest tubes for longer than 15 seconds without a doctor's order. So if you break the water seal, what is the first thing you do? Break the water seal, first thing. Now, how long do you have to get that thing cut off and underwater? 15 seconds, or you've got to what? Unclamp. So I have those sterile water bottles nearby. It drives me crazy. When I work as a nurse and I get people with chest tubes, I go into the room and guess what's all over the walls and all over the overbed table and everywhere? Clamps. I can find like six clamps in every room. What can I not find within 100 yards? Sterile water. Which one can I simulate and don't need? A clamp, because I can kink the tube off with my fingers. What can I not simulate? Sterile water. <laughs> Wish I could, you know. <laughs> um, number two, use rubber tip double clamps. Use rubber tip double clamps. In other words, if you're going to clamp something, what should they be covered with? The teeth. Rubber. Why should the teeth of the clamp be covered with rubber? Because otherwise you're going to puncture it. That's stupid. And why double clamps? Why two? Because we're nurses. Okay? There's no research-based evidence to prove that two clamps is better than one. It's just the way we are. Okay? Okay, congenital heart defects. And then we'll do some real brief ones and be done for the day. Congenital heart defects. Uh, every, who, everybody knows what congenital heart defects are? Mm -hmm. Every congenital heart defect is either trouble or no trouble. What I mean by that is either a congenital heart defect causes a lot of problems or it's no big deal at all. There is no in-between defect. That's kind of bad, but kind of good. It's either what? All bad or all good. It's either all bad, all good, nothing in between. They're either what? Trouble or they are no trouble. Now, to memorize congenital heart, I want you to memorize one word and only one word. And that word is trouble. Now you notice it has seven letters. Do you notice that, that uh, uh, 
shaded box has seven blanks. I want you to write the word trouble in there, but capitalize the consonants, keep the vowels small and lowercase. Capital T, capital R, small o, small u, capital B, capital L, small e. Now, all congenital heart defects are what? Trouble, trouble or not. So what's the big word you have to memorize for congenital heart? Trouble. trouble. Okay, now if you memorize that, how many have that already memorized? You memorized it in the last 10 seconds. Okay, you can repeat that. You now know 95% of all congenital heart defects. How do I know that? Here's how I know it. If a congenital heart defect is trouble, let's say you guys have trouble defects. Does logic say you need or don't need surgery? Need. If they're trouble. Need. When? <laughs> In order to what? Live. Okay, if you guys have a no trouble defect, do you need surgery? No. Might you have it? Possibly when? Years later, if it causes a trouble, but we don't expect it to cause any trouble because it's not trouble, right? Okay. Well, what, you guys have a trouble defect. What is your growth and development? Not slow. slow. Yeah. Delayed. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you have a defect which is? Trouble. What is your growth and development? Why normal? Because your defect is no trouble. What's your life expectancy? Normal because it's no trouble. What's you guys' life expectancy? Trouble. Short because it's trouble. trouble. What what are your parents experiencing a lot of? Stress, Stress grief, financial, all kinds of caregiver issues. What about your parents? No more problems than the average person on the street. Do you go home on an apnea monitor? No, why? Because it's not trouble. Do you go home on an apnea monitor? Yes. Because you have what? Trouble. How long do you stay in the hospital after you're born? Long time. Weeks. How long do you stay? 24 hours, 36 hours, and you're gone. Why? Because it's no trouble. Who, who follows your care? What medical professional follows your care? Which doctor? What kind of a doctor? Pediatrician or a nurse practitioner, pediatric nurse practitioner, right? Who could follow you guys? Who will follow you? Pediatric cardiologist. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if it's trouble, make it trouble. And if it's no trouble, don't make it. See, because the way they'll ask this question is they'll say, a, you are teaching the parents of a child born with tetralogy of fallot. What will you teach them? And it will say, this, this decreases life expectancy. This, do you see what I'm saying? Or it'll say, it's just fine, it's no problem. Well, which one do you pick? Well, it depends on whether it's what? Tr trouble, trouble or not. If it's no trouble, what do you tell the parents? Big deal. If it's trouble, what do you tell the parents? Whoa, not good. <laughs> now, boards will not give you pictures of defects and ask you what they are. Why? That's not your job. You don't make the diagnosis. The radiologist does. What do you do? What's your role in congenital heart defect? Teaching the parents the implications. And if that's your job, if it's trouble, teach them things that it's going to be a lot of trouble. And if it's no trouble, pick the answer that says this is no trouble. Do you see where you're going to be able to pick the answer out? How many agree you'll be able to know what to teach the parents as long as you know whether it's what? Trouble, trouble or not, correct? 
Okay, now the other thing about trouble is, uh, do you see, is, is they always want to know, does the defect shunt blood right to left or left to right? Remember that? Mm -hmm. How many remember left to right, right to left shunt? Okay. <coughs> Look in the word trouble. Look at the way it is spelled. Is there any help for us in remembering which way trouble defects shunt blood? Why did you say right to left? Because R comes before L in the word trouble. trouble. So a trouble defect is right to left. Why? Why is a trouble defect right to left? Somebody, was, somebody said, because it recirculates deoxygenated blood. No, because that's the way it's spelled. <laughs> it's too late for me to teach you all this stuff. If something can be simple, let's make it what? Simple. simple. And I am not teaching you the word tolerber. I am teaching you the word what? Trouble. And in the word trouble, what comes first? R. R then L. L. So trouble defects are? Right to, right to left. Because trouble is? Spelled that way. So what way, what way are no trouble defects shunting blood? Left to right, because that's not the way trouble is spelled, because it's not trouble. So if a kid has a right to left shunt, what do you tell the parents about surgery? Kid has a right to left shunt, what do you tell the parents? Right to left, that's the way trouble spells, so it must be trouble. So I'm telling the parents, oh yeah. Okay, but if a kid has a left to right shunt, what do you tell the parents about the growth and development? Left to right. Left to right, that's not the way trouble is spelled, so it cannot be trouble, so we say normal. Are you getting this? Mm -hmm. Okay, the other thing they want to know is, is the kid cyanotic or acyanotic? Remember that? Mm -hmm. Cyanotic, acyanotic, what does cyanotic mean? Blue. Blue. Do we have anything that can help us with that? B. B, the word B, the letter B in trouble. See, we're using the consonants. We're not going to use the vowels. Just going to use the consonants here. So B means blue. So what types of shunts are blue? What types of shunts are blue? Right, right to left. Right to left means blue. So left to right means not blue, which is pink, acyanotic. Do you got me? So why are right to lefts blue? Because trouble spelled that way. Yes. Don't talk to me about deoxygenated blood. Because I don't care. I just want to know, can you do this? Okay, now, what do you know about a congenital heart defect? If you know it is trouble, start listing the things you know about it. If it is trouble, what do you know? Trust blood, what? Right to left. Cyanotic. Needs. Delayed. Decreased life expectancy needs pediatric exercise intolerance needs some meds needs an apnea monitor is going to stay longer parental guilt financial difficulties caregiver stress right because it's what trouble, trouble. but if it's no trouble what do you tell the parents no trouble you know it's left to right you know it's blue you know, it's no big deal. So with troubles, you go, whoa. With no troubles, you go, ah. <laughs> right? Now, there are 40-some congenital heart defects, correct? Some of them are trouble, and some of them are not. 
How do you remember which ones are trouble? Well, just memorize them, right? Memorize which ones are trouble, correct? And then you'll know which ones are and the others are no trouble, right? No, because I told you to memorize what? Trouble. One word and that would be trouble. And that would be memorizing more than a word, wouldn't it? You'd be memorizing a list. Well, what consonant have we not yet used? T. What position does T hold in the word trouble? First. It just so happens by total sheer coincidence that all congenital heart defects which start with the letter T are trouble. If it does not start with a T, it is not trouble. So, do you see where it says examples of trouble, examples of no trouble? Let me give you some examples and you tell me where you're going to put it. You have a patient with ventricular septal defect. Ventricular septal defect. What is it? No trouble. Why? It starts with a V. That's not a T. So it's not trouble. So it shunts blood from the left, left to the right. The kid is asynchronous. Can you tell the parents? Don't worry about it. Okay. Your kid has tetralogy of fallow. That starts with a what? Starts with a what? T. And that means it's trouble shows tons of blood right to left kid is cyanotic can you tell the parents oh. okay patent ductus arteriosus patent ductus arteriosus that starts with the letter P, P. that's not a T so it's not trouble so it shuns blood left to right the kid is pink can you tell the parents okay patent foramen ovale starts with a P. That's not a. So it's not. So you tell the parents. Ah. Truncus arteriosus starts with a. And that means it's. So it shuns blood from the. The kid is blue. And you tell the parents. Oh, not good. Transposition of the great vessels. Trouble. Tricuspid atresia. Atrial septal defect. Pulmonic stenosis. Um, totally anomalous pulmonary vasculature, TAPV. Do you know what it is? Do I care? No, they don't care what it is. They want to know what you would tell the parent. And since it starts with a T, you're going to say what? Oh, surgery. Right? Okay, now there's only one exception to this rule, and only those of you from Columbus know it. Those of you from not Columbus don't hear of it because Columbus is a nationwide center for the treatment of these children. It is a research in place for left ventricular hypoplastic syndrome, which you don't, if, I, if this were a class in Cincinnati, no one would know it. How many have heard of it? Raise your hand. Now that is shocking for a Columbus. Well, how many of you are actually Columbus? Columbians. Okay. Well, I'm surprised you haven't heard about it because, but Boards will never bring up what? Left ventricular hypoplastic syndrome because it, it's like one-tenth of one percent of the whole congenital heart defect. They're going to bring up those more popular ones. You see what I'm saying? So for boards, if it starts with T, it's what? If it doesn't start with T, it's? So are you going to memorize your defects? No. No. Just the word trouble. Okay. So that'll save you some time, won't it? So that whole chapter you got. Now, there's just two more, a couple more things you need to know. All congenital heart defect kids will have two things, whether trouble or not. Number one, they'll all have a murmur. Why do they all have murmurs? 
Because the shunt of the blood. They're either shunting from the left to the right or the right to the left. It really doesn't matter. You're going to hear a murmur. What I don't want you to think is, oh, only troubles have murmurs. And no troubles don't have murmurs. No, no, no. They all have a murmur. Do you got that? And they all have an echocardiogram done. Because they got to find out why. So even your no trouble kids will have an echocardiogram done. The last thing about congenital heart defect is you need to know the four defects of tetralogy of fallow. The four defects of tetralogy of fallow. Now, I have been working for 20 years to come up with a good way to remember these, and I haven't come up with a good way. I've come up with an okay way. If anybody knows a good way, let me know, okay? Um, the best way I know is the saying, varied pictures of a ranch. Imagine you went out west to a dude ranch and you have all these pictures on your cell phone. You have varied pictures of a ranch. Well, what I did with these is, do you see the word varied? What did I do with it? Capitalized what letters? The first and last. Pictures, what did I capitalize? First and last. Of a. First and last. Ranch. First and last. Well, do you know what? V-D-P-S-O-A-R-H-R. Those are the initials of the four defects. So varied becomes V-D, which is V-D. What would V-D stand for in the heart? Ventricular defect. What would P-S stand for in the heart? Pulmonary, pulmonary stenosis. stenosis, exactly. What would OA stand for in the heart? Overriding aorta. Overriding aorta. And what would the RH stand for? Right hypertrophy. So here's the good news, everybody. You don't have to recall these. You just have to recognize them. What is the difference between recall and recognition? What's recall? Remember it from nothing. What's recognized? Spot it when you see it. So here's the deal. All you need to do is, in the way they'll do this, is they'll say, your patient has tetralogy of fellow, select all the defects that apply. So you're going to pick out a what? A VD, a PS, an OA, and an RH. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you don't really have to memorize even what they are. Just a VD, a PS, an OA, and an RH. Varied pictures of our ranch. And they don't know about this, so they don't have like two VDs, two PSs, two RHs. You see what I'm saying? So you should be okay with that. Now, does anybody have a better one? Uh, the only one I saw that was kind of interesting, it is kind of timely given the time of year we're talking about, is they wanted to get the V, D, P, S, O, A, R, H, but they wanted it to have something to do with heart, because that one has nothing to do with heart. So they said, Valentine's, starts with a what? V. Day. Day. Starts with a what? D. Pick. Someone. Out. A. Red. Heart. H. Valentine's Day. Pick someone out a red heart. V D P S O A R H. 
So I don't care what you do, but I suggest you remember VDPSOARH, okay? But varied pictures of a ranch does it for me because I always mess up. I always go, Valentine's Day, pick out someone, a, no, pick someone out, a, yeah, I go, so. It's kind of sloppy, but I, I have to tell you that because that's on there all the time. What are the four defects of tetralogy of Fulham? It's the only defect where they ask you what it is. So what do you have to memorize to know all of your congenital heart defect? Trouble and VDPSOARH. And you should get the whole chapter. All right, just in, in conclusion, I want to do a couple things so that you know where we're headed and just a few short things. Page number 32, infectious disease and transmission-based precautions. Infectious disease and transmission-based precautions. Page 32, it's one page, I want to do it right now. There are four transmission-based precautions. Standard, universal, contact, droplet, and airborne. Which one did I leave out? Standard, Standard. universal, why? I'm assuming you know that. That's if you don't know that, I don't want you to pass. Um, but so the ones you probably need help with are droplet, contact, and airborne. So let's talk about it. Contact isolation. It is for anything enteric. Enteric, which means what? Can be caught from intestine, fecal oral, fecal oral. So that would be C. diff, Clostridium difficile, remember that one? Um, hepatitis A would be there, that's enteric, that's intestinal. Any of those, any of those uh, cholera, dysentery, you know, those ones where the bugs in the diarrhea and you don't wash your hands and then you touch somebody and then they eat their food and they Okay. Sometimes people get confused at hepatitis A and hepatitis B, which one's which? I always say hepatitis A stands, the A stands for anus. I mean, it doesn't, but when you see hepatitis A, think hepatitis anus which tells you it's what? Fecal oral. Hepatitis B is hepatitis blood. So it's by the blood. Question? Um, they taught us anything with the vowel comes from the vowel. Anything what? The vowel. Oh, anything with a vowel comes from the vowel. What do they mean by that? Hepatitis A, Oh, okay. The types of hepatitis. Anything with a vowel comes from the vowel. Whereas anything that isn't a vowel comes from blood and body fluids. That's an interesting one. But they don't ask you, they just talk about hepatitis A. Okay, really, that's all they test. All right, uh, the other thing they, the other one you use for contact is staph infections. Staph, S-T-A-P-H, not S-T-A-F-F. These are staph infections, S-T-A-P-H. Staph infections. And, RSV. RSV. Does anybody know what RSV is? Respiratory. Is that thing the babies get? Yes, it's the one that the little 
one and two year olds get with bronchiolitis, it's no danger to us, but to them it can be fatal. Respiratory syncytial virus, RSV. They will give you both names. Now, the interesting thing about RSV is how is it transmitted? Droplet. But what precautions is it on? Contact. See, there's where you don't get confused on this. You put RSVs on contact precautions even though it is transmitted via droplet. Because with little kids, they catch it from touching other things that other kids touched and put in their mouth. It's not because they're sneezing on each other. So you could put them on droplet and it still would pass. See, what they did is they used to put RSV on droplet, but it was still going all over the place because they weren't, it was by the contact with the objects that it was passing. So when they put them on contact, it stopped being passed even though it's transmitted via droplets. Does everybody make sense? So how is RSV usually transmitted? Kid takes a toy, you know, puts it down, next kid takes the toy and, uh, and then they get it. So contact works best, even though it's transmitted via droplet. So don't get confused there. It is transmitted droplet, but it's on contact precautions. And herpes infections. So enterics, staph, RSV, and herpes. These infections are contact isolation. Now, what is entailed, what is involved in contact isolation? Now, I'm going to give you all the latest, newest things because they're, they're really up to on this. So this may have changed if you've come to another review. So you need to make sure if you're refreshing that you get this down, alrighty? Because some things have changed. In contact, they are now saying private room is preferred. So therefore, while it is not required, it is preferred, therefore you would say yes to the private room. You understand? So that's a change. Yes to the private room because it is preferred. However, these kids can be put in the same room as long as you cohort. What does cohort mean? Same. So if you've got two RSV kids, can you put them in the same room? Yes, but otherwise an RSV needs to be in their own room. Somebody said, well, at Cincinnati Children's, we put them all in the same room. Yeah, you're putting six RSV kids in the same room. Go at it. That's cool. What about an RSV kid with a suspected RSV kid? Yes or no? No. They have to be cultured and positive before you can put them in the same room, before you can cohort. So cohorting is done on the basis of culture or symptom? Culture, not symptom. Do you understand that? Mask, no. Gloves, yes. Gown, yes. Hand washing, when's that ever wrong? Yes. Eye face shields, no. Not unless you need them for universal, right? But you don't need them specifically for this. Special filter mask, no. Patient wear mask, no. Disposable supplies, dedicated equipment, yes. What is the difference between a disposable supply versus a dedicated equipment? Give me an example of a disposable supply. Pressure cuff. What's that? Blood pressure cuff. No, we don't throw the pressure cuff away. Do we throw the thermometer away? 
like I was thinking of paper plate, a plastic utensil. What is a dedicated equipment? Stethoscope, a blood pressure cuff that stays only in their rooms. So what are the toys with these kids? If it's a kid, what's the toy? Disposable or dedicated? dedicated? Dedicated. Only they play with them, no other kid plays with them. Of course, the two respiratory syncytial virus kids can play with it, what? Together. Negative airflow, no. Okay, droplet. Droplet is for bugs that travel three feet on large particles due to sneezing and coughing. They are for meningitises, all meningitis, and H flu. Have you heard of H flu? Yeah. Haemophilus influenza B? H flu? What's the big bad disease that H flu causes? Does anybody know which one it is? It can, but it's more likely to cause epiglottitis. You're right. H flu meningitis is common, but H flu causes epiglottitis more. Remember, that's that airway disease that if you stick something down their throat, they're going to obstruct so you don't look down their throat or mess with their throat. So what do you do? Here's another change. Private room is preferred. Not required, but it is preferred, so on boards you would select private room. It is preferred, unless you are what? Cohorting. Based on? Culture. Culture. And if it is meningitis, what did they all have to have? Lumbar punctures, right? Because that's where you culture the meningitis. Private room is preferred. Mask. Yes. Gloves. Yes. Gown? No. You don't need the gown. Hand washing? Yes. Special eye face shields? No, no. Not unless you're doing something for universal. Special filter mask? No. Patient wear mask when leaving room? Yes. Disposable supplies, dedicated equipment? What do you think? Yes. And negative airflow? No. Okay, airborne. Airborne is for measles, mumps, rubella, tuberculosis, and varicella chickenpox. Now, private room, required, unless you're cohorting. Mask, yes. Gloves, yes. Gown, not necessarily. The gown is more for contact, it really, really is. Hand washing, yes. Eye face shields, no, no, not really. You don't need them for this. Special filter mask only for TB, only for tuberculosis. Patient wear mask when leaving room, absolutely. In fact, they really shouldn't be leaving the room in the first place. But if they do, they have to wear the mask. 
Disposable supplies, dedicated equipment is probably a good thing, but it's not as essential as in the other two. So you could let that one slide. You could let that, because it's what? Airborne, not droplet or contact. And negative airflow, yes. Now the interesting thing about tuberculosis is how is tuberculosis spread? By what method? Droplet. Droplet. But what precautions is it on? Airborne. See, so what are the two that don't make a lot of sense? RSV and TB. They're both what? Droplet. One is, con however, on contact. The other is on airborne. But they're both transmitted via droplet. Question? Shingles would be herpes zoster, so it is a contact. It's, yes, it's by the varicella, but it's not a respiratory varicella. It's a contact varicella. Good question. Um, the, other, the other thing that I want you to know, because they're really, I mean, they're like white on rice on this one, is um, protect personal protective equipment, PPE. And they want to know what order you put it on and what order you take it off. Because it's a drag and click, or click and drag. Well, here's the deal. You always take it off in alphabetical order. You take it off in the alphabetical order. So what would be the first thing you'd take off? Gown, mask, gloves, or goggles. Gown, gloves, mask, or goggles? Make it alphabetical. What would come first? Gown, goggles, mask, or gloves? Gloves. Gloves, followed by? Goggles, followed by? Gown, followed by? Mask. So it comes off. And you, it's hard for you to right now to think alphabetical, right? But when you see it, you'll... And when's alphabet? On or off? Off. Off. Off is alphabetical. On is the reverse alphabetical for the G's, but mask comes second. So what would you put it on? It's reverse alphabetical for the G's, and mask comes second. So it's G, M, G, G. Gown, mask, goggles, gloves. And then it comes off, gloves, goggles, gown, mask. So off is easy because it's alphabetical. On, you got the G's a reverse alphabetical order, but the mask gets put in second. G, M, G, 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 M. You see that? So that's, that's the best way to go with that. Okay, turn the page to 50, and we'll be done for the day. And it'll be about... 10 after 9, 20 minutes early. Did I go too fast or? No. Everything all right? Okay. Tomorrow morning is going to come really soon, guys. Okay. By the time we end tomorrow, we will have barely spent 24 hours together. By the time we end tomorrow. That's, that's quite intense. Okay, math problems. I refuse to teach a math class because everybody's math problem is a little different. Math is best learned individually, not in a class. So what I want you to do is I want you to try these math problems tonight or tomorrow night. Okay? The answers are at the bottom of the page.
Now I was real sloppy with rounding. So as long as you're close to what I have, you're probably right, I'm probably wrong. But getting the, as long as you're close to what I have, you're probably okay. It's probably just a rounding error I made and it's not your problem. So what I want you to do is do these problems, see if you come up with the answers. If you come up with the answers at the bottom of the page, guess what? We don't need to talk. But if you can't get any of them, we better talk. Well, when should we talk? During lunch, at the breaks, you know what I mean? Talk with me. So, because we can help you with this. Uh, the first two are what we call dosage calculation. It's when what the doctor orders isn't what's on the bottle. There's no conversion involved. It's just a simple desired over half times available. Or if you're like me, just set up a ratio proportion. Because I, I, I was a math, ma well, not a math major, chemistry major first. And I had three quarters of calculus and differential equations. So when we went to nursing and they were teaching me this stupid little formula, desired over half, and I've had more math than all my faculty combined, you know, it was like, what? You know, but if you know how to do it, do it. Okay, and the next one is the IV drip rates. And these are mostly the RNs. You're going to have to know these. LPNs, you may probably not have to know these. But that's the, that's the uh, volume times drop factor over time in minutes. Volume times drop factor over time in minutes. That's your formula to memorize for that. Okay. And remember, mini drip is 60 drops per mil. Mini or micro is 60. Macro is what? 10. 10 or 20 or 15 or 12. But boards will say it's 10, which is really stupid because all manufacturers are different. Micro and mini are always 60. 60 drops per mil. That's your drop factor. So when they say micro and mini, your drop factor is what? 60. So you're going to multiply by 60 and then divide by 60. So what? Why bother, right? I love mini drip calculations for eye drip. Why do I like mini drip for IV? drip rates. If you just divide the volume by the yeah. hours, you got your answer. Because all you're going to do is multiply by 60, then divide by 60. If you're going to do the same thing, why bother? Okay. Um, the next two are pediatric dose questions where you're using the child's weight. And our LPNs, they will give you these. And it's 2.2 pounds per kilogram. They will always give you the kilogram weight Always. They will never go the other way. They don't give you kilograms and ask for pounds. They always give you pounds and ask for kilograms. So they're, you're going to be what? Dividing pounds by 2.2. You will always, listen to this, you will always be dividing by 2.2. You will never be multiplying by it. So take the weight, divide by 2.2, then do your math. Pay attention to whether they're asking the total amount per day or the amount to be given at just one time. Do you see what I'm saying? Because if it says TID, you know, 15 milligrams per kilogram per day TID, that means the whole daily dose is, and then you've got to divide it into what? Three to get what you're going to give at one time. But if they say, what's the daily dose, you give the whole 
you see where, where, where you have to pay attention to what they're asking for? Are they asking for a dose at one time or the whole daily dose? Because you could do the math right and still miss the question if you don't pay attention to that. And the last two, last two are IV replacement questions. This is more for RN. And there's no formula for that one. It's just thinking with math. Now, just a couple things about math real quick. Do you use leading zeros? Yes or no? <coughs> leading zeros. Yeah. Yes. As long as it maintains what? Place. So what about this? I'm sorry. Zero, 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 point zero, zero, three, zero, zero. How many zeros are not needed and how many zeros are needed? Four, Four is not needed. needed. Four are not needed. Two is and three are. Three. Okay, needed or not needed? Not. Needed or not needed? Not. Needed or not needed? Yes. Needed? Yes. Needed? Yes. Needed? Yes. Not needed? No. Nope. Okay. So no, you can use leading zeros as long as they maintain place. You cannot, do not use trailing zeros ever. Uh, also, boards will tell you to what you are to round, which I love. I think it's fantastic. They made that change about four or five years ago to where they say round to nearest tenth. So you don't have to sit there going, what should I round to? They told you nearest tenth. And then you do not have to put units. If they say, how many milliliters will you give? Just write 10. Don't write 10 ml. Because that says uh, how many milliliters we give? 10 milliliter milliliters. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't need these units. You just need the numbers. All right? And, and write the numbers. Don't write 10. Okay. <laughs> okay. Any questions? All right, see you tomorrow at what time? Nine. Nine, bright and early. I have an, who has an, more, I have an hour long to get home. Who has longer? How long? Oh, are you staying in or you leave? I'm leaving. It isn't really a whole hour though, is it? It's not really a whole hour.